Hey, I'm Austin, and welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. This week, we continue our 10-week journey called The Red Sea Rules, based on the book by Robert J. Morgan, where we will be looking at 10 different rules that we can apply to our lives. In this book, we find that even in the midst of seemingly impossible situations, God can make a way that will move us from fear to faith. In week five, Pastor Eric unpacks our next big rule. Stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Good morning. Everybody doing okay? Great. So I'm excited about today because we get the chance to look at our next set of verses in Exodus chapter 14. And we've been looking at this paragraph for the entire summer. And I'm excited because we're going to discover that God wants something for us. And here's what God wants for us. He wants us to give Him time to work. That's kind of a mysterious thing. So we're going to take our time today and really unpack that. Before we do that, though, I'd like to invite you just to pause with me and let's pray. Father, we step into your presence again, and we are just so thankful for time in this gathering to think about what you want to say to us. God, we're going to look at some incredible verses in the middle of a miraculous story, a story that just displays your creativity and your power and your authority. So as we walk through this and as we think about what you want to say to us, help us to be awake and ready to listen and just to embrace everything that you have for us. God, we all walk into this room with different needs and desires and wants and hurts and hang-ups. So God, speak to us today. May we walk out of here in a bit encouraged and just very, very thankful that we've had time with you, and we'll be sure to thank you for everything that you do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin with a question today, and that is, would you say that you are an emotional person? How would you answer that? Or how would somebody else answer that for you? Are you an emotional person? This word emotion is actually a very interesting word because it's the word motion with the letter E attached to it. And I don't even know what that means other than our motion has movement to it. And when we feel on the inside, there is always motion that comes with that. So we kind of get this nice little word emotion. So are you an emotional person? How would you respond to that? A couple of weeks ago, I actually did some research online about emotions, and I discovered some different surveys and some different links that were very, very interesting. So see if these are things that you've come across as you've been online as well. I found this, eight signs you're dealing with an emotionally bankrupt person. Sounds really promising, doesn't it? And then there's this, how do you know if you're emotionally unstable? And I didn't even bother reading that because I'd rather not know if that's me. I'd rather just be in the dark on that. And then I found what an emotionally mature man looks like. I thought that was kind of interesting, so I clicked on the link and this picture 
actually appeared. So <laughs> there you go. Frightening. And then this one, when your mate is unemotional and emotionally unavailable. And that may be one of the most confusing statements that I've ever read in my life. I have no idea what's happening with that. And then I found a how emotional are you online quiz. So I couldn't resist this one, so I clicked that and I took the quiz and there were about 40 different questions there. And I discovered after I inputted everything and I answered all the different questions that I am 33% emotional. And then I got really emotional because what does that mean for the other 67% of me? Does it have no feelings or what? I'm not sure. But the quiz was interesting because I really thought it would begin with gender. Like, are you a male or a female? But it actually began with your age. And I've discovered since crossing the 40 threshold that I have a lot more emotional responses to things. And stuff moves me on the inside a lot more than what it ever used to. So how would you respond to that? Are you an emotional person? We're in week five of Red Sea Rules. And as we've been navigating our way through this miraculous story, there is emotion involved. There's ups and downs. There's highs and lows. There is drama and everything in between. And here's what we've discovered so far. God's people, his special people, the Israelites, found themselves at this particular time, in slavery to the Egyptian empire. And they had been that way for 400 years. It's all that they really knew. But God providentially allowed them to walk out of Egypt toward their freedom. And that walk took them to the edge of the Red Sea. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, realized that he didn't have his workforce anymore and they were building this vast empire and he knew he didn't want to do the work. And so he said, we need to go and get our slaves back so we can continue to build our great empire and be known throughout the world. And so let's go and get our slaves. And so he assembled his army, which was the greatest fighting force in the world at that time. They had the best of the best. And so they gathered all of their weapons and their chariots and everything that they had, and they began to chase God's people who really were defenseless and had no weapons at all. And very soon, God's people found themselves trapped, caught, stuck between the sea and the sword. And they didn't have a lot of options at that particular moment. Let me ask you this. Have you ever felt like you've been stuck in life? Trapped? Caught without a lot of options. And when you look over here, that's not a good option. And when you look out in front of you, that's not a very good option. And when you look over this way, you know that's not a good option. And when you look behind you, you know that's not a good option. And so you're just kind of stuck there. Has that ever happened to you? Trapped? Out of options. That's God's people. And that's where we find them. Each week we've been sharing a big rule that we can use as we try to navigate our way through our Red Sea experiences when we feel trapped and stuck. And so what I want to do is kind of go back and review a little bit and then I'll share with you our big rule for today. So here's where we've been. Rule number one, realize that God means for you to be where you are. You've got to realize that. Often we don't like that. 
we don't like where we're at and we want to be in a different place, but we need to realize, we have to recognize that God wants us to be where we're at. And often there is something to learn in that spot and in that place. And God will keep us there until we get that lesson and we trust him deeply right there. So rule number one immediately tells us God means for us to be where we're at. We don't often like it, but there's something that has to be learned there. Rule number two, be more concerned for God's glory than your relief. And in week two, we talked about how we love relief. Like we want to get out from under the pressure. And when we get squeezed by life and when we feel stuck and when we feel trapped, we always look for the way out. We always look for relief. But instead of doing that, we discover from Exodus chapter 14 that we need to be more concerned for God getting glory and recognition and credit in the middle of our Red Sea experience more than the way out. That's rule number two. Rule number three is acknowledge the enemy, but keep your eyes on God. We talked about how we have a very real enemy. If we've trusted in Jesus alone to save us, if we've embraced his leadership and his forgiveness, we have a very real enemy. And it's not Pharaoh who wants to take us into slavery. Our enemy is the devil. And scripture tells us very clearly that he roams about like a roaring lion looking for people to devour and eat. That's what he wants to do. And so we have to acknowledge that. But the good news here is that at the same time, we need to keep our eyes on God who is even more powerful than our enemy. So acknowledge the enemy. We have to be aware of him. But in the process of doing that, keep your eyes on God. Rule number four was pray. So while all of this is happening, we need to pray. And I just want to say I had such a good time last week in our gatherings talking about prayer and looking at different scripture pieces that deal with that, and then having just a very meaningful and deep corporate time of prayer. That I love praying with many of you individually who stepped out and came down front, and I had the chance to pray over you and with you for your Red Sea experience. That was so much fun. And last Sunday I went home, and I was just kind of reflecting on that day, just so encouraged and so excited with what God is doing in terms of prayer And I was reading this in Acts chapter 4 last Sunday. It says, after this prayer, so this is a group of people and they're together and amongst other things, they were praying corporately. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. And I read that and I thought, that sounds amazing. And I want that. Maybe we don't want the building shaking, but I want God's power displayed in my life and in your life, in in the life of our church. And prayer has this amazing ability to invite God into the story and ask him to get involved and ask him to do something on our behalf. And quite honestly, this is a tool that I know is way underutilized for all of us. I know it is for me. You'd probably say that for you as a church. We don't do this enough. And so we're actually thinking about ways we can ramp this up as we move forward so that we can continue to invite God into the story. Because think about it. Prayer is this amazing thing that we all can do where we can step into the presence of a real and a living God 
I mean, think about that. I can go into the presence of God, the creator, the one who is over everything and more powerful than everybody and anything. I can go directly to him and I can bring my pain and my hurts and my needs and my wants and everything in between. And I can lay it at his feet and ask him to do something. But often I just don't pray. And maybe you feel the same way. So last week was this wonderful reminder that we have this tool at our disposal where we can go directly to God and give him everything and invite him to act. It's very, very powerful. And I want that for us. I want that for our church. I don't want to just do church. I want God to work through us. And when we pray, we get the chance to see that. So last week, after we had our time of prayer, I know there was one individual who walked out of this place and took a very bold step, a very bold step, and made the choice to start to put their life together. But they're going to go through a very difficult process to get there. But yet, as a result of our time and our prayers for that individual, they are starting that journey. Talked to another individual last week who said they were just so moved by watching people come out and pray and moved by what we were doing corporately and moved by the words and the songs that just gave us this opportunity to step into the presence of God. Had a teenager come and talk to me and say, guess what I'm doing? I am starting my very own prayer journal. How awesome is that? As a teenager who's saying, I'm going to begin this and I'm going to start this prayer journal so that I'm writing things down. I'm really paying attention as I step into the presence of God. And we talked about that prayer journal last week. And by the way, one of the great benefits of a prayer journal is that you have the opportunity to write some things down and then you can go back and record when God answered that. And you have your own journal of how God has moved in your life. And you can go back to that and read and discover, here's what God did. Here's how God answered. And here's the date. And here's what happened. And here's how encouraged I was. And you have this thing that points you to how God works. So rule number four, it's not just this churchy thing to say and do. Okay? Like we go to church and we pray, right? No, this is an opportunity to step into the presence of a very real and a living God and cry. Cry for daily help. Cry for mercy. Cry for deliverance. That's what prayer is, and we need to be doing more and more of that. So let's pray. That's rule number four. So today, our big rule, rule number five, is stay calm and confident and give God time to work. We're going to learn how to stay calm and confident and yet give God time to work. So I want to go back to Exodus chapter 14 and I'm going to begin reading with verse 10 so that you can pick up on the emotion of this. Verse 10 says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. And they cried out to the Lord, And that's our whole prayer thing. And that cry was a cry for deliverance. It was extreme. It was desperate. They knew that they needed a lot of help. And so they cried out to the Lord and they said then to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? 
Why did you make us leave Egypt? Even though they were really excited about it a few verses earlier, now they're upset. And verse 12 says, didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. A couple of thoughts here. For the people, fear is beginning to dominate them. And quite honestly, this is understandable. I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense. Just a few verses earlier, they're marching to their freedom, and they were laughing and crying and having a great time knowing what was coming. And then all of a sudden, here comes Pharaoh and the greatest army in the world, and they have no weapons. They are just out there on their own. They are in a lot of trouble And they begin looking at Moses and they start to complain. I mean, this is lights out here. This is not a good situation. Big momentum change from being happy and excited and free to now being stuck between the sea and the sword. Big momentum change. And for Moses, the leader of God's people, I think fear is beginning to set into his life as well because he's got a few million people who are mad at him. And they're pointing and whining and saying things and going, Moses, err! Like, we're just really, really upset and we're really, really mad. Err! Because that's what you do and that's how you respond when you're really, really mad. You point at people and you growl. And that's what they're doing to Moses. But Moses somehow, in the middle of all this complaining... He has the wherewithal given to him by God to respond and say this in verse 13. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. It's kind of an interesting little phrase here where Moses is saying, God's going to deliver you. So you need to watch for this. God's going to save you. This is all the language of victory here. And what's amazing about this is Moses has no idea how this is going to work out yet. He's just looking at people who are about to destroy him. And he's saying, look, don't be afraid. God's going to save you. God's going to deliver you. We're going to have victory. Not sure how it's going to work out yet, but it's going to happen. And then he says, the Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. In other words, Moses looked at everybody and said, have you noticed that we don't have any weapons here? Has anybody picked up on that yet? So God, he's the one who's going to fight for us. And again, this is all the language of victory. And then Moses says, just stay calm. Or it could be said this way. No more talking. Please, no more talking. Everybody just needs to be quiet here. So everybody's frightened. And God looks at Moses and says, go to the people, and I want you to tell them, stop talking and be quiet. Can you do that, Moses? And he does. As many of you know, my wife, Tanya, and I have six children. Their ages are 17, 16, 13, 10, 6, and 2. I'm pretty sure that's right. It's constantly changing, and I have to write it down so I know. But in our house, there can be a lot of talking. There's eight of us, and so sometimes the volume really gets ramped up. And occasionally we have to say, no more talking here. There's just too many voices. Everybody be quiet. 
couple of weeks ago, Tanya and I were talking about something that was happening, and the kids began to listen, and sure enough, they chime in, and, well, here's what we need to do, and here's where we need to go, and you need to say this, and here's how you solve the problem, and all of a sudden, there's eight people talking, and the volume is way up here, and finally, I said, quiet, there's way too much talking, and I'm sure that happens in your home, too, and that's just with eight of us. Imagine now. This scenario here in Exodus chapter 14 where there's just millions of people and they're desperate and they're filled with fear. They are freaked out of their minds and now they're beginning to communicate to Moses what we need to do and they're whining and they're complaining. And yet in that moment, Moses delivers some strong advice that not only worked for his people back in the day, but it's advice that I believe will work for us today. So Moses basically said two things. Here's what he said. Don't be afraid and stand still and watch God. Don't be afraid, stand still and watch God. I don't know what your Red Sea experience looks like. I don't know how you feel trapped or stuck or out of options. But the challenge today And the words for you are, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And then let's follow that up with standing still and watching God. Now, here's what that means. Don't be afraid means to stay calm. So again, I don't know what your Red Sea thing is that has you shaking in your boots or whatever cliche you want to insert into there. I don't know what Red Sea experience you have right now that is squeezing you to the point where you are absolutely scared to death. I don't know what that is. But stay calm. Stay calm and then stand still and watch God. And here's what that means. Be confident in God and give Him time to work. So if we're going to stand still and watch God, that means we're going to take any confidence we might have. It might not be a lot. But we're going to take that and not place it in ourselves, which is often what we do. Like, we can figure this out and we'll navigate away and we'll be able to manage this on our own. We're not going to do that. We're going to take whatever confidence we might have and we're going to place that in God and then we're going to give Him time. Now, here's what I'm not good at. I'm not good at not being afraid. Like, I kind of freak out occasionally and get scared and frightened when pressure comes into my life. So I'm not good at not being afraid. Maybe you are, I'm not. I'm also not very good at standing still and giving God time to work and putting all of my confidence in Him. And yet the very words we find here is, in any Red Sea moment, this is what we actually must do. It's about staying calm, and standing still and watching God, taking our confidence and giving God time to work. Now, what does that look like? Don't be afraid. Stand still, watch God, give Him time to do whatever. That all sounds really nice. But what about my fear? What about my scary situation? What about my Red Sea? What about that? What does this actually look like? Well, I want to read to you another story from Genesis chapter 15 where God is having a conversation with a guy named Abram. And Abram's struggling with the same things. He's fearful. He senses 
He doesn't have a child to love and to give all of his wealth to. And he's a little frightened by this. And so God and Abram have a little conversation. And this is what it sounds like. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid. What's fascinating about that is page after page in Scripture, we find God saying this to all kinds of different people. Like He knew we would freak out. So, Abram, do not be afraid, for I will protect you. And your reward, well, it's going to be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all of your blessings when I don't even have a son? See, this is a great question that's just dripping with sarcasm. Because Abram had been asking God for a son for many, many years, and it just hadn't happened. And so now Abram is saying, what good are your blessings, God? Maybe you find yourself in that spot occasionally. Like you're praying and you're asking, you're doing some of the rules that we've already talked about, and you want to get on the other side of the Red Sea, but there is no answer There is no response, and you just feel that God is very, very, very far away, and you would agree with Abram. What good are your blessings, God? Not so sure. Doesn't seem to be working out for me. You don't seem to be helping me. Maybe you're helping a lot of other people, but what about me, God? Like, I'm not so sure about your blessings. That's where Abram's at. And Abram says, since you've given me no children... Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And this was actually a normal part of their customs. If you did not have a child, whatever you had would be passed on to your chief of staff or your head servant. If you were a wealthy individual, and scripture tells us that Abram had a lot of wealth. And so what he's saying here is this is part of the custom. What I have is going to be passed on to Eliezer. But you get the sense that Abram's not really happy about that because he wants a son. This is what he's been asking for. And this is what he wants desperately, a child. Verse 4, Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. And the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord. See, something changed in him here. We don't know exactly what because just a few verses prior to this, he's kind of saying he doesn't really get what God is doing and he doubts his blessings. And now all of a sudden God shows him the stars and Abram believes So there's something there that changed that. And then God does something with that belief, which is really unique and remarkable. But it only happened after Abram believed, not before. After Abram believed, the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Not before, but after Abram believed. The Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. So here's the deal. At some point, at some point in the middle of not being afraid, which we're not supposed to do apparently, even though we do, 
So we're supposed to battle that. So in the middle of not being afraid and in the middle of stepping back and giving God time to work, I must trust that God has abilities that I don't have and that he sees what I cannot and that he can do the impossible and that God can come through. At some point in the middle of my Red Sea, I just have to step back and trust that God has these abilities that I don't. And it's normally in that tough spot and in that tough place where we see God do some of his greatest work. But often we want to run from that because we want relief. But maybe that's exactly where God wants us to be. Rule number one, realize that God means for you to be where you are. We see that in Genesis 15 with the story of Abram, and we see that in Exodus 14. God's working. He wants us there. And in the middle of that, staying calm and confident, this is what God wants, and it works. So here's our takeaway for today. Our takeaway is the same as the big rule, and that's kind of what we've been doing throughout this journey. And so I'll say it again. Stay calm and confident and give God time to work. Now think about this. God's design has always been that we would need him to do what we cannot. This is what God does. That's what he specializes in. That's what he enjoys. His design has always been that we would need him to do what we cannot, and that's why we have to trust that he has abilities that we just don't have. And by the way, this is what helps us then to stay calm and confident and give God all the time he needs to work. Two questions. Number one, with one being fearful and ten being standing firm, where are you on that scale with your Red Sea? One being fearful And one being, or ten being standing firm. Where do you think you're at on that scale? Are you on the fearful side? Or do you sense that you're standing firm? Which means you're giving God time to work. And your confidence is in Him. Question number two. With one being trying to control the situation. And ten being waiting on God. Where are you on the scale with your Red Sea? So one, you're trying to control it. Ten means... You're saying, I'm going to wait on God and I'm going to give him time and I'm going to place my confidence there. Where do you think you're at on that scale? See, here's where we struggle. Here's where it is. It's in actually giving our Red Sea to God. And here's why we struggle with that. It's because our natural bent and interest is in our proactive and assertive selves finding solutions. And we just don't have time for God to work because sometimes God can be a little slow, in our opinion, right? And so if he's not going to act, then I'm going to have to figure out a way because I'm proactive and I'm an assertive person. That's part of our DNA. That's part of our culture. And God is saying here through this magnificent story, we've got to set that aside and we need to be calm and give God time, place our confidence in him and let him work. And quite honestly, I think if we did that a little bit more, we would save ourselves a modern migraine. And we actually see this reflected in Psalm 37. It says, Be still in the presence of the Lord 
and wait patiently for him to act. Some incredible words. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Guess what else we're not very good at? We're not very good at being still, right? And we're not very good at waiting patiently for really anybody to do anything. But yet what we're discovering here is it's time. Like we have to figure out a way to make this happen, to be still in the presence of the Lord and to wait patiently for Him to act. We've got to do this. Be calm and confident and give God time to work. Now here's a prayer that I want to give to you that I think will help you when you find yourself in that fear place. It says this, when problems arise, I often sense I'm losing control. I panic and become afraid. To alleviate my fear, I try to control and fix the problems. Does anybody do that? I think we do. So I now see I need to slow down, place faith in you, allowing you to guide me and control the situation by your grace and power. May this truly become a reality in my life. Now, I want you to say that with me, okay? When problems arise, I often sense I'm losing control. I panic and become afraid. To alleviate my fear, I try to control and fix the problems. I now see I need to slow down, place faith in you, allowing you to guide me and control the situation. By your grace and power, may this truly become a reality in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, this is what we give to you. On this day, whatever our Red Sea experiences might look like, we're just saying that we want to stay calm and we want to be confident in what you can do. God, even if we doubt your blessings like Abram, I mean, even if that's the path that we're on, even if that's the lane that we're traveling, God, help us to take the little bit of confidence that we might have and actually place that in you and then just step back and give you the time that you need to work. God, help us to be patient in that process. We're not very good at that. We like to run ahead of you often. Help us to get out of the way and wait patiently for you and to look to you. God, help us to use this prayer when we find ourselves in that fear place because you tell us over and over again in Scripture, do not be afraid. But yeah, God, we fear. Life is filled with all kinds of scary things. And so when we find ourselves there, God, help us to claim the promise that we find here in Exodus chapter 14 and in Genesis 15 where you talked with this individual named Abram and you talked with Moses and had him lead your people in not being afraid in a pretty frightening situation. So God, I, I just pray right now for everybody here, you'd help us to stay calm and confident and give you time to work. God, I know that kind of cuts against the grain of our assertive selves. But God, help us to give it a shot. Help us to try that. So God, for everybody in this room, whatever they're walking through, whether it's a difficulty at work or something at home or a sickness or a fear or a habit, 
Or maybe it's something that they're not even aware of yet that is about to hit them when they walk out of here. When we find ourselves trapped between the sea and the sword, amongst other things, would you help us? Would you help us this week to just stay calm and confident and give you time to work? God, I know that you'll help us to do this. Because it worked for your people many years ago in Exodus 14. And as we continue on this journey of thinking about the Red Sea, we're going to see how you made a way and how you provided. You'll do the same for us. Timing's up to you. So help us to rest in that. Help us to trust in that. But God, you will work. So again, calm and confident. Help us to give you time. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening. We'd also like to invite you to join us for any of our Sunday gatherings as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 and 11 a.m.